Well, my message tonight is going to be a little different than most because um, I'm going to be speaking about an individual tonight that you may never have heard of before. And I'm a little nervous because actually I want to tell a little story and I'm, it's a little ticky, tricky how I'm going to make the segue from my story to the message. But anyhow, I've just got to say this. When I was growing up, there were some really fabulous scary movies that had been produced. See, I grew up in the day when the original Frankenstein and the Wolfman and uh, Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman, this, this kind of thing. Those, those were the movies. They were the scary movies. And um, I always loved Bob Hope. You remember Bob Hope, Mr. B. Very funny man. He would deliver his lines deadpan and... Uh, I'm going to speak about the Holy Spirit tonight, and when I was growing up in the church, I didn't quite understand what the differences were between, you know, there's God, there's the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, or referred to as the Holy Ghost, and I thought, ghost? God is, appears to us as a ghost? And it's not, it's not the same meaning at all, but... Uh, I was reminded of a movie that Bob, Har Bob Hope starred in, and it was a movie, believe it or not, before Ghostbusters, it was called Ghost Crunchers. And yeah, yeah, I, I didn't know that till I, I remembered the movie, but I, I didn't know what the name was, and I looked it up. But Bob goes with this uh, lady who has inherited an estate on an island off the coast of Cuba. <clears throat> And they're about to go to the island, and somebody warns them. They say, you really don't want to go there. And he said, why is that? He says, um, well, there is the influence of um, bad people here, bad religions. And there are people who wander the streets of that city. They're mindless, and they wander, and they don't know where to go or what to think. And he looks at the gentleman and he says, oh, Democrats. Yeah, I, re I remember that. So, to make a segue from that, I'm going to speak about a gentleman that you, again, you may have not heard of. I know Rachel's heard of him because I loaned her the book about him. It's a, this is a gentleman called Brother Lawrence. Now, just like popes change their name when they become popes, People who go into the Catholic ministry, if, if they become a monk, a friar, whatever you want to call them, they change their name from their original name and they take on some, some new identity. Remember me talking about identities last time I spoke? Well, they assume a new identity and they take on the name and make it fancy. And uh, this gentleman... His new name was Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Now, I don't even remember what his original name was, but to describe him, he was very ordinary. According to his description, he was a great oaf of a man. Now, that's an old term, but oaf means somebody who's clumsy, probably be an interior lineman on the offensive line, something like that, you know. Just, you know, not, not one of those swift running backs, and... In fact, he had been in the military, and he left the military because they didn't like him. 
it seemed like he was constantly falling over things and breaking things and couldn't be trusted to do things right. So this guy didn't have a real good beginning, and he had very little education. Now, I think it's important to talk about people in times beyond the Bible, people who are also good people. I know that we have plenty of good examples in Scripture of people who were good people. But that's not to say that people like that still don't exist. This gentleman actually, the book about him, I'll, I'll say this, the book about him was written 353 years ago. And the book about him has sold millions of copies. And I'm going to tell you why. Again, this, this man was a very ordinary man. He was like you and I, not super well-educated, clumsy, known to be clumsy. But his life, he took on a new identity, not just in his name, but he took on a completely different identity, and I'm, I'm going to talk about that. Now, I'm going to have to go by my notes because I'm going to quote him a lot. Actually, there was someone who came and wrote a book about him. He didn't write the book. It was, an, um, it was recommended that someone come and interview him and write the book because he was very noteworthy. And I've already said that he was a very ordinary person in many ways. What made this guy special? First, I have a scripture, Luke 10. Okay. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. Don't we do that? We get involved in details. Now, whether it's to please our boss, please ourselves, please others around us, and we're constantly trying to please somebody. The Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. Should she have been worried? I don't think so. The Lord's coming to eat with you. I think the meal's going to come out okay. I think it will come out okay. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. What? I'm not supposed to be worried about this meal? I mean, people are hungry. They're waiting. What was the one thing that she needed to be concerned about? While the Lord is there, communion with him. Communion with him. And I'm going to talk about that tonight. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, I'm going to reveal the title of this book. The name of the book written about this man was The Practice of the Presence of God. Now, don't, don't we love to feel the presence of God? You know, we can be in the midst of worship before the service starts, and there's a particular theme. I mean, 
I mean, I seem to, I seem to be more uh, willing to accept the Spirit of God being with me when I'm kind of at some low point. I mean, it's like when I'm at, you know, just not feeling quite right and, you know, I'm not sure how things are going. It seems like then that I feel the presence of God more. When I, when I think I'm fully in control of things, I got everything covered, everything's going good, I don't really feel the presence of God as much then. Now, Rachel talked about, uh, when she was talking about Bible study, you talked about wanting to have the Spirit with you. I remember you saying that, Rachel, when, you, when you're studying. Well, how do we do that? Can we just say, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm, I'm going to do nothing, Lord, until you show up. Now, we talk about, and this book is, is, in my opinion, it's mistitled. It says the presence of God. Actually, if you'll understand what I'm saying about this gentleman, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit is what, is what this gentleman is, is seeking and what he, what he finds. You remember what Kenny said last time he spoke on Wednesday night? He talked about uh, seeing Jesus with his hair white as wool and he's dressed with a gold sash around him and all this sort of thing. Again, what he said was that in the presence of Jesus, you know, it's like I'm going to walk up and shake his hand and, or give him a hug. No, I'm going to be in such awe of him. It's, it's going to be a little different thing. Now, the Holy Spirit is a, is a completely different thing. Isaiah also talks about being in the throne room of God and him being so all-powerful and so impressive. It says the train of his garment fills the throne room. There again, I you know, God is is my master, but do I expect God to come and be with me here or Jesus to be with me here? No, I feel I feel like that it's the Holy Spirit is is what comes and is with me. If I'm in the midst of a worship and, and I feel a presence, I, I think it's the Holy Spirit. So this this title actually is a little off, but that's okay. That's okay. We, you know, we do that. We talk about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Kind of, we kind of intermix them and talk about them. And, you know, we, we say Jesus when we mean God and we say God when we mean Jesus. And, but that's, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. God has a, three spirits about him. But I, I, I think it is the Holy Spirit that this gentleman found communion with. And this is what the writer has to say about Brother Lawrence. <clears throat> Excuse me just a minute. <clears throat> it says that Brother Lawrence was a lay brother in a Carmelite monastery in Paris. Now, I don't know what the Carmelite order is. Um, he was so well known, and he didn't try to present himself as being anything but by his conduct and by the way he lived and the way he acted, people came to him for advice on how to clo come closer to God. Yeah, they sought him out. He didn't stand up. He didn't preach. He didn't say, well, you know, I've come closer to God. Let me tell you folks how it's done. People saw in him characteristics that they wanted to have, and they came to him. 
Well, this got known by the higher-ups in the church, and they sent this man to interview him and to write a book about him. He was so remarkable, but he was so simple. You'll see what I'm talking about here in a minute. And this gentleman says, the first time I saw Brother Lawrence was upon the 3rd of August, 1666. This is a long time ago. And I'll have to confess to you folks, I have translated some of the writing in the book because there are some terms that are used that are so archaic that, it, you know, you'd go, eh, I'm not sure what that means. So I've kind of modernized it a little bit. So he began to interview this gentleman. And he says, he told me that God had done him a favor in his conversion at the age of 18. This is before he went in the military. That in the winter, seeing a tree stripped of its leaves and considering that within a little time, the leaves would be renewed and after that, the flowers and fruit appear, he received a high view of the providence and power of God which has never since been taken from his soul. See, this man didn't have biology classes. This man didn't understand the science of how all that happened. He was just in awe of the fact that he looked at a tree and it shed all of its leaves, and then he was there when that same tree produced leaves and fruit and all of that, and he was just so impressed by the power of a sovereign God that would do that. And in a sense, and I've thought about this a lot, you know, Joyce will say something to me. She'll say, oh, didn't, didn't the Lord create wonderful things for us to see? Well, to me, the wonder is, you know, God creates wonderful things, but he puts something in me that perceives that that's beautiful. See, he gave us a, a consciousness, an ability to see the beauty in what he's created. So this, this man was overpowered by that, and he said he was saved at the age of 18. And this is what he said. He said, how did he get to where he is? He said, we should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence. Is God here with us now? Yeah. Do we always sense that God is with us? No, no, not always. What is he talking about? He says, by continually conversing with him. Do y'all just, you know, constantly converse with God? I think Scripture says that, that a prayer should be continually in our mouths. Something, I'm paraphrasing that. Well, this man sought to do that. He said it was a shameful thing to quit his conversation to think of trifles and fooleries. In other words, he would begin, he would, if he had the time and he had the you know, not being hounded by many things to do, that he would start to have a conversation with God. And whenever something distracted him, that's terrible. That, that's foolishness. You guys, can't you, can't you guys go take care of that and, and let me continue to talk to God? Now, I'm not trying to say that this is easy to accomplish. But this man, this... And I'm, I'm, I'm just throwing this out tonight to say this was this man's attitude and his demeanor and how he did this. He said, useless thoughts spoil everything. Mischief began there, and we ought to reject them as soon as we perceive their insult to the work at hand or our salvation. 
and return to our communion with God. As much as we can, as often as we can, we should be talking with God, trying to be close to God. God will come close to us, but, you know, if we try to go close to him, that certainly helps. Okay, next scripture, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Are they kidding? Have you ever read that before? Never stop praying? Well, I, you know, that sounds like a good thing, but I, I don't know how I can do that. But that's, that's what Paul said to the people in Thessalonica. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, excuse me. That's God's will for us. Wow. It said, when on occasion of practicing some task that was offered, he addressed himself to God saying, Lord, I cannot do this unless thou enable me. And that then he received strength more than sufficient. In other words, if they gave him a new job to do, and he worked in the kitchen. I'll just be honest. He worked in the kitchen where there were grubby monks scrubbing dishes and slinging food around and probably without a lot of thanks putting together meals for the other monks. This wasn't a real fun place. But he said whenever he was given a task, he, he would pray about it and say, Lord, Unless you help me, I can't do this. And then if he ever made a mistake, and I think this, I, I love this. It says, when he had failed in his duties, that is, he made a mistake, he only confessed his fault. He said, Lord, I, I've, I've made a mistake. He probably confessed it to his friends, said, I've made a mistake. And then he said to God, I shall never do otherwise if you leave me to myself. In other words, I'll probably fail again unless you help me, Lord. It is you that must hinder my failing and mend what is wrong. Help me to fix what's wrong, Lord. After this, he gave himself no further uneasiness about it. He never thought about it again. I've made a mistake. Lord, help me to keep from doing this again. Okay, that's done. What do we do? We beat ourselves up. Oh, you know, I did that. Everybody saw me do that. Mm, Lord, you're going to have to help me, but boy, I hope I don't do that again. We ought to act with God in the greatest simplicity, speaking to him frankly and plainly and employing, imploring his assistance in our affairs just as they happen. God never failed, it, failed to grant it as he had often experienced. <clears throat> Excuse me. In his business in the kitchen, to which he had a great loathing, having accustomed himself to do everything there for the love of God, everything, and with prayer upon all occasions for his grace to do his work well, he had found everything easy during the 15 years that he had been employed there. Now, I found this, I, I, I can't honestly tell you how I came across this, but I I'd, I'd been studying this, and then I found this scripture, and this is Jesus himself speaking, and this is from the message. This is Matthew 24, the message. Who here qualifies for the job of overseeing the kitchen? 
a person the master can depend on to feed the workers on time each day. Someone the master can drop in on unannounced and always find him in doing his job. A God-blessed man or woman, I tell you, it won't be long before the master will put this person in charge of the whole operation, the person who's doing their job. I've often heard it said that if you want to keep your job, do it as if you don't care where the boss is. It said that with him, the set times of prayer were not different from other times that he went off to pray according to the direction of his superior, but that he did not want to go away nor ask for it because his being busy did not divert him from God. Monks usually have an established order of things that they do. You know, they get up in the morning and they're supposed to, they might have a little something to eat, and then they're supposed to pray for so long. And then they may study scripture, and then somebody may preach. And then they go about their duties, and they work during the day. And then in the evening, typically, they have their meal, they clean up, they do this and that. And then they have to go into a chapel again, and then they have to pray, and they hear somebody preach, perhaps somebody reads scripture. And this man says, eh, that's okay. To be told to go somewhere and pray or read scripture it's okay, but it's not really different than the rest of the time to me because he was so constantly in contact with God and wanting to be in contact with the Holy Spirit that there wasn't any difference. He expected later to have some great pain of body or mind. He's talking about as he gets older, but that the worst thing that could happen to him was to lose that sense of God which he had enjoyed so long, but that the goodness of God assured him he would not forsake him utterly, and that he would give him strength to bear whatever evil he permitted to happen to him. And after that, he feared nothing and had no occasion to consult with anybody about his state. In other words, he had a period of time where he worried about that. He said, and in that day and time, if you became seriously ill, there weren't any good doctors. You were just going to suffer and die. But he said when he, when he considered that and the Lord assured him about it, he said after that he feared none of that. That it was a great delusion to think that times of prayer should be different from other times. We are as strictly obliged to adhere to God by action in the time of action as by prayer in its time. By rising after my falls and by frequently renewed acts of faith and love, I have come to a state wherein it would be as difficult for me to not think of God as it was at first to be used to it. He was so accustomed to constantly thinking about God and praying, he could not imagine it being any other way. It was observed that in the greatest hurry of business in the kitchen, he still preserved his recollection and heavenly mindedness. He was never hasty nor loitering, but did each thing in its season with an even uninterrupted composure and tranquility of spirit. The time of busyness, said he, does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clutter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, 
I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees receiving communion. Brother Lawrence never advanced beyond being a cook at the Paris Monastery, but he developed the unique gift of being able to pray incessantly with God throughout the entire day and regardless of what else he was doing, whatever else he was doing. This unique gift produced such a spiritual change in Brother Lawrence that many people sought him out to learn how to, to practice the presence of God themselves. He had always been governed by love without selfish views and that having resolved to make the love of God the end of all his actions, he had found reasons to be well satisfied with his method. That he was pleased when he could take up a straw from the ground for the love of God, seeking him only and nothing else, not even his gifts. Now, Y'all know that King Solomon was considered to be the wisest man that ever lived. Do you know how he got that gift? He was so in love with God that one day he said, we're going to have a celebration. We're going to have a worship ceremony. It's going to be, I just, I just want to do everything I can. Bring in a thousand cattle. We're going to slaughter a thousand cattle and offer them as an offering to God. We, we'll, we'll burn all that. It's going to be, it's just going to be a blowout thing. That's all he meant for it to be. And it says that God came to him and says, what would you like to have? It was with that mindset, I'm going to worship God with everything I have. Not, not looking for a gift. He wasn't doing it for, to receive from God. But it was that sort of attitude which God, the only place I know of in the Bible where God comes to somebody and says, what can I give you? And then Solomon says, give me wisdom so that I can help manage and judge the people. In other words, it wasn't wisdom for his benefit. It was to be able to do the job that the Lord had given him. Okay, our last scripture, Colossians. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Okay, I'm going to make a little confession here. Um, I do some things at the church, and it's, it's been mentioned before, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to lift myself up but Joyce and I we, we come in between days that we have services and we'll tidy up and we'll pick up in the church and the human part of me has this tendency if I come in and somebody's left a coffee cup over here half full and part of it's leaked out on the floor the human part of me says what were they thinking I wonder who that was are they going to do that every time they come in here? And that is so wrong for me to think that. If I'm, if I'm going to do it, if, you're, if you have some duty that you've accepted here at this church, if you're going to do it, do it for the love of God. If you, if you begin to think, well, these people don't appreciate it, or it's, you know, 
here we go again. It's the same old thing. If you're going to do, do it with that kind of attitude, just, just don't do it. Just don't do it. So I have, to, I have to chastise myself a little bit about that. And I'm, and I'm nowhere near being, being like Brother Lawrence. Um, so, in summary, I have gotten three things from the testimony of, of this man that I would like to share. It's simple. It really is simple. We do, we do things simply here. And this was his attitude. Continuously talk to God. Can you do that? In, in our work and our duties, we don't, we don't have to talk continually. Unless you're an anchorman on a TV show or something, you know. You don't. So you should be able to constantly, constantly, constantly question yourself. Am I doing this for the right motive? Is the Holy Spirit here with me? By the way, just, just to interject this, when, when do you ever feel the presence of the Holy Spirit? Can I, can I ask that question? And I can give you a few examples. I, I feel him here often in the worship or my son's preaching, or somebody else, some of these other notable people who, who will get up here and speak, and, and, they, and they tickle something in my, in my spirit that says, you know, I, I need to adopt that, I need to learn from that. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Kenny was announcing about the fact that we were going to pack the food in Umana that we did last Sunday, and I looked up here on the stage, and I, when, when they had the video of the little kids in Haiti, and I, look, I looked at the worship team up here, and they all looked like they were about to break out in tears seeing that. I felt the Holy Spirit then. That's part of it. It's not, it's not just a feel good, you know, yeah, yippee, yippee, let's run around the church. It's not, it's not all about that all the time. It's whenever you feel the admonition of the Spirit speaking to your heart that, I need to be active. I need to be doing something. Yes, yes, he is. He is a counselor in that sense, but he is also a comforter, and and can give you that feeling of peace and love and and uh, his presence. Okay, number two, do everything for him. Yes, I may have a job and I may earn a living from it, but if I do it for the right purposes, I do it for God, I will do it well. I will do it with the utmost of my capability, and the outcome will be that I will be a good employee. Your employer will see that. They are a good, faithful person who works hard, works diligently, and they're not about a bunch of fuss and trouble. Ask for forgiveness and help immediately, and then forget it. Well, again, it's not only people in this book that have been good and faithful to God. I could give you a number of examples. Sister Teresa would be a good one. We could use her as an example. And I was just 
a little bit overwhelmed about this gentleman because when you read about how he lived, he lived it so simply, but he was such a wonderful example. And his story has held up for 300 and some odd years. It must have been something about that guy. Can we not be the same way? I believe we can. I really do. I re really believe that we can. All right. Let me pray for us. I pray that y'all would uh, use this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one for, um, as some churches do, for um, raising people up and nominating them for sainthood and, and this kind of thing because, quite honestly, the term saint literally means believers. We are all saints if we are true Christ followers that in the true biblical meaning so if we're all supposed to be saints can't we work at that alright let me pray for us dear Lord I thank you for the example of brother Lawrence I know Lord that uh, you know him well so I pray that uh, we, could, we can learn from his experience his example and help us to try Lord I know that if I try to do these things without your help, I may well fail, Lord. So I pray that you will help me to be more like Brother Lawrence in his uh, seeking to be with you constantly, seeking to be obedient to you, and doing everything that is a job, doing it with love for you as our prime purpose. Again, Lord. I pray that if you don't help me do these things, I'll, I may well fail at this. So I ask for your help. And I pray that you would forgive us of our sins and our errors. And I pray that once, once we have asked for that forgiveness, we'll just let it go. Let it be in your hands. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.